Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Believe it or not, sitting across from me as he always does. Oh, wait, I guess you could believe it. That'd be senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Gaston, you gotta pull yourself together. You enjoy that, don't you? Yeah. So, uh, we have a little listener mail to lead into this podcast. So, uh, let's cue Liz with the sound effect. This listener mail comes from Paul, and Paul says, Hi, I'm enjoying listening to your podcast, and I wanted to add a new topic to the Tech Stuff agenda. I'm a fan of theme park rides and attraction show effects, and I always wanted to know how some of them work. I love the ride Haunted Mansion at the Disney parks. There's an effect called the Pepper Ghost, where they make the ghost appear to come out of the wall and into your vehicle. I would like to know the tech behind this effect. Thanks, and hope this topic is fun. 
Paul. Paul, you happen to have sent this into at least one avowed Disney fanatic, which would be yours truly. Uh, I believe Chris is a bit of a fan as well. Yes, definitely. So um, I have been to the Walt Disney World Park more than 30 times. I've been to Disneyland uh, probably around seven or eight times. I have not yet been to the ones in uh, Europe or, or in Asia. But uh, yeah, clearly I, I have a... Uh, a special place in my heart for the Disney, um, the Disney park attractions. So we're going to answer your question about the pepper ghost effect. But uh, actually, before we do that, we thought we'd talk about a bigger topic, mm-hmm. which is Imagineering. Ah, uh, yes. Well, Imagineering, um, sort of a, uh, it's sort of an obvious portmanteau, if you will. Yes. Of uh, imagination. But it's always great to be able to use the word portmanteau. Yes, it is. Yes. Thank Ima- you very much. I'm, and I'm sorry, I interrupted you just as you were explaining it. Please that, say it again. That it is about uh, imagination and engineering. Yes. And I'm, I'm not even sure that Disney was the uh, the first to have come up with this term, but they have embraced it wholeheartedly. Yes, to the point where there's now actually Walt Disney Imagineering. It's a, it's an actual division within the company. Oh, yes. Yes. And As a matter of fact, I... Uh, headquarters. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt That's okay. You. Go ahead. I have a, uh, I had a friend in high school who whose dream it was to become an Imagineer. Wow. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure how far he's gone with that, but it's it sounds it's like a, it's, it's a neat a, job. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty amazing job. Also, sounds like it could potentially be a very frustrating job. Um, sure. But we'll we'll go into why that is in a minute. And when I say frustrating, I just mean that imagine that your job is to come up with amazing attractions for the Walt Disney Company, mm-hmm. and we're talking about from top to bottom, from every single element of design you can think of, including what sort of story it's supposed to tell or what sort of mood it's supposed to evoke. And then knowing that there's a fairly good chance that your idea will either only partially make it into reality or never make it into reality. Because as we all know, I mean, you can't not every idea is going to come to fruition. Some things are just going to fall down to budget. Some things are going to fall down to space issues or timing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's 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 a, a job that gives you amazing opportunities, but you also have to realize that not everything you come up with is ever going to see the light of day. Right. Right. But uh, let's let's talk about Imagineering in a in in kind of a broad sense. So Disney himself mm-hmm. uh, kind of fostered this this. Uh, f- set of disciplines mm-hmm. and his his set of standards were very very high very exact and he wanted to be able to create uh, a park where he could have uh, families come and and enjoy themselves as families and experience attractions that brought them into another world yeah right so it's beyond the the basic uh, amusement park um, uh, concept paradigm. I was going to say, that, yeah. yeah, that's good. So no. the amusement park paradigm. I was like, I was trying to come up with something besides paradigm because I didn't want to get too uh, too snooty, but uh, well, I guess I'll just embrace it. So yeah, the the amusement park paradigm, where you've got all these different rides and and you know maybe some food stalls and things like that. And, uh, there's not really any rhyme or reason to the way it's laid out, other than the fact that you don't want to have all the food areas right next to all the rides that spin you around and around and around. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem to stop people anyway. Well, yeah, some park 
designers actually get that, and they don't put the stuff that makes you get nausea, uh, nauseated rather uh, right. right next to the food. At any rate, Disney wanted to go beyond that. He wanted to have a park where you had very specific areas that kind of had a, a thematic continuity to them, mm-hmm. and that you would have a real experience as you move through the park, and it wouldn't just be you know making a beeline from one ride to the next and maybe stopping to eat sometime along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a really a revolutionary idea at the time. Now, we're talking about the 1950s right now, um, sure. back when Disney was was working on, on the parks the, originally. Um, and he really stressed this to the people who worked for him. Um, he said that this is something that really is important. He's not going to compromise on this at all. Disney was not known for compromising. No, um, not really. And so that's kind of where the whole concept of the Imagineer came from. Now, at the time, there wasn't really a, a formalized, you know, set of criteria that uh, you know what makes an Imagineer apart from someone who's working for Disney who's trying to create attractions. Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, you could really call it a standardized thing. Now, I read uh, some information on Disney's website about. The uh, the Imagineer core, as they're calling it, mm-hmm. and I mean there are more than 150 disciplines yeah. uh, that make up the Imagineer group. So I mean, with that, you've got a, a very broad sense of you know what an Imagineer may be asked to do. Um, you know, there could be anything from you know, design, visual design, to uh, the mechanics. You know, the planning, the planning like Disney did, where you were orchestrating the the entire environment and an immersive experience for the uh, the park visitor. Uh, you know, those kinds of things all sort of fall into the the purview, the overall purview of the. I see here, here I am being snooty, the purview. Mm-hmm. Um, but really into into their field of imagineering. So they could be you could have a mechanical engineer and an electro, you know, electrical engineer and somebody who's into the graphic design of the whole thing and they're all working together within that whole unit. So yeah, and you it's, could also it's really have, diversified quite a bit. You could even have a writer. Oh sure. Because a lot of you know a lot of the attractions at at the Disney parks uh, tell a story. And in some cases it may be that the writer is not necessarily writing dialogue, mm-hmm. but is instead writing the progression of the story and how the story moves from one element to the next, and that kind of defines the experience that the the writer, the the uh, the guest in Disney terms, is going to experience. Yes. Um, well, um, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was going to say that um, as I was. Preparing for the podcast, I uh, watched a video interview with um, an Imagineer named uh, Asa Kalama, who uh, has a whole series of DVDs out called "The Science of Di- Disney Imagineering." It's a it's an educational series for kids, uh, people who are interested in uh, science and trying to trying to get kids interested in science in school um, by sort of putting it in the framework of what an Imagineer does and how they do cool stuff for Disney. Well, um, he said the very first thing that they start out with is the story. That is the most important part because that's mm. basically where they jump in and take off. So you know, you're right. I mean, in a writer, uh, writer's perspective is one of the very first things that they look at because it people come to them with ideas and say, oh, "We want to make this happen." Right, and it's a very cinematic kind of experience mm-hmm. with a lot of these attractions. So when you're talking about a writer, uh, you may have dialogue. For instance, there are plenty of rides that have 
lots of dialogue in them. The Pirates of the Caribbean ride has lots and lots of dialogue in oh, it. Oh, sure. And, uh, and a lot of it is really funny, clever stuff that you have to kind of listen for to pick up on because uh, it's very directional, right? You know, there might be a pirate that's off in one corner who's muttering something and it's absolutely hysterical. But if because there's so much other stuff going on in your field of view, you may not even notice it. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, you do tend to notice it if you're like me and you have ridden Pirates of the Caribbean more times than you can count. Right. Uh, sometimes more times than you could count in a single day. Yes. Um, so uh, the writers will write not necessarily just the dialogue, but also the everything like the action around it. And, you know, the, like uh, there's a sword fight going on. Like if you if you write the Disneyland version of Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, there's a point in the ride, pretty early on in the ride, where you can see the silhouettes of people fighting, uh, and it's projected against a a, a sail. Uh, so it's canvas. You see this, mm-hmm. and you see these silhouettes of, of figures fighting each other. And it's actually a pretty amusing fight, and there's several different sequences to the fight. It's not in the Disney World version, mm-hmm. or at least it wasn't the last time I wrote it. Uh, but the, you know, that kind of thing, again, is something that the writer would have to come up with. And then, of course, you've got things like actors who are involved in this who have to record all the different voices or, or act out the parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really when you when you factor in all the elements that come into making an attraction work uh, you really start to realize how huge a task it is for these imagineers now when you, when we talk about the early imagineers they were multitaskers like we have very specific kind of roles that imagineers Take up now, like mm-hmm. you've got like a, an entire department of illustrators, departments of, of you know graphic designers, um, you know the engineers, all that kind of stuff. The early Imagineers were sort of jack of all trades. A lot mm-hmm. of them, I mean, a lot of them were doing multiple roles in order to build the early early attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion, things like that. Mm-hmm. Or it's a small world after all. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. or just it's a small world that after all is the song. Um, at any rate. They had a the, those early ones had to do a lot of these things all them by themselves or you know, in small groups. So it's actually kind of a monumental task for a small group to to be able to come together and design and build this sort of thing. Sure. Um, often, as as Chris said, they'll start with an idea for a story for an attraction or for an area of a park uh, because they don't just design the the rides; they also design everything that Disney does that has a physical presence, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you walk down Main Street, Main Street was designed by Imagineers. You know, it's it's not necessarily that you don't just think of the rides. you got to think about every single element of the park. Or the Disney cruise ships. Mm-hmm. The cruise ships were designed by Imagineers who were working with ship designers because clearly you can't just, you know, you can't just take someone who has great ideas and tell them build a boat. <laughs> they they need to know the principles behind the cruise ship industry in order to really design it properly. Right. But at any rate, uh, everything Disney does, even to the Disney stores, Imagineers are involved in. Now, granted, there are as many Disney stores now as there used to be. Well, they uh, Disney has decided to end its contract with the company they were using to outsource the stores to. So yeah. the Disney stores now... Uh, as far as I know, are all being run by Disney itself, but they cut down on the number of the stores as a result of that, yeah. which I imagine is part of the Imagineering. Um, it's not quite as much of a tangent as you might think, uh, because I think it's probable that uh, the Imagineers will have a greater hand in the Disney-run stores than yeah. they would necessarily have had with a, a third party. To be able to guide that experience so that right. it actually is representative of what Disney, uh, the Disney philosophy is. Um, once they have the story idea, then they have to start thinking 
what what kind of direction are they going to move in? Like when it comes to th- coming up with an attraction, mm-hmm. um, usually they'll they'll try and think of well, what sort of experience do we want the guests to have, and then how can we achieve that? And uh, there are a lot of really interesting examples of that out on the parks. I mean, uh, Soren, California is a good one. Oh, that's an excellent. Uh that's an excellent example. Actually, they they wanted to create a ride that would give uh, guests the the feeling that they were flying over the California countryside. But then they had to figure out, well, how are we going to do this? And uh, it it was one of those things where various Imagineers were working on the problem, trying to come up with a viable solution. And several were proposed, and the one that was ultimately chosen was this interesting um, arrangement where people would sit down in what looks like a theater, but then uh, would be raised up off the floor in tiers. So each row would become a level of of yes. this ride. We're not uh, we're not talking crying here. No, no, T I E R S tears. Um, <laughs> not, yeah. But it, it was it was a really neat approach to that idea. I mean, because like, you really do start thinking like, well, wh- how do we achieve this this effect? Um, and there have been a lot of proposed Disney attractions that never went anywhere that I still would love to see. The the one that I still kind of want to see, and I, I can understand why it would. Disney has not done it yet, is a villain's land. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's been talk before about creating a Disney villain park or a Disney villain land within an existing park that would have a lot of thrill rides in it that were themed after the Disney villains. And I have a soft spot in my heart for the Disney villains, uh, Captain Hook in particular. I can't imagine why. It's a bad form shooting a man in the middle of his cadenza. But, uh, yeah, and I would love to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, that's one of those things where Imagineers have worked on these ideas for years and years and years. It may never happen. So that's kind of that frustration element we were talking about. Um, now, Disney's come up, through the Imagineering program. They've come up with a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. They've developed technologies that uh, were pioneered by Disney Imagineers. We're talking about things like audio animatronics. Yeah, I had a feeling the you were going to start one. with them. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that's one of the earliest, right? Sure. They, they use audio animatronics in a lot of their early, early attractions, like the Tiki Room, yeah. uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion. Um, I can't believe you didn't mention Abe Lincoln. I was going to get there. <laughs> Hall of Presidents. Um yeah, the, this audio animatronic technology was uh, was revolutionary, and sure. um, it's also really complicated. It was mechanical mm-hmm. as opposed to electrical. Um, we since have moved beyond sort of the audio animatronic age to more of a digital age, but uh, that's, that technology is still in use in many of the Disney parks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was that was pioneered by Disney Imagineers, and and that's not the only technology that Disney kind of really uh, pushed forward and developed. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the examples that they use on the on the website, too. Um, another would be the uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, although I don't know that I'll ever actually... I've never been a fan of the freefall rides, so it's, I'm not sure that I will go to see it in person. It's really not as bad as you think, because I had a really bad experience on a freefall ride, and I was reticent to ride the Tower of Terror. And then I went ahead and rode it and realized, you know what, this is actually a fun ride, and it 
it's way more gentle on your system than you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Like the the braking system in particular is really, really gradual and and gentle on you, so you don't feel like that horrible jerky motion that you usually get with freefall rides once you get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm more familiar with the uh, the haunted mansion style. <laughs> yeah, you know, which we're going to get into in just a second. Yeah, so we've we've kind of talked about what Imagineers do in the sense that you know that they they embrace many different disciplines uh, they're all about telling a story or, mm-hmm. or creating a show because Disney parks are supposed to be a show that's why uh, the employees are not called employees at Disney parks they're called oh, cast, cast members member. because they're part of a show and they even will refer to things being on stage versus backstage mm-hmm. so yes, they do. Uh, you can take backstage tours of some of the Disney parks I've taken one and it was fascinating but you can't take pictures you, you not in most areas yes in most areas you are not allowed to take photos uh, also uh, a backstage tour is not recommended for people who don't want the magic ruined yeah. In the sense that if you know how it works, if that's going to ruin it for you, you should not go take the tour. Also, I should mention that when we get into talking about the Haunted Mansion, if you don't want to know how the effects on the Haunted Mansion work, stop the podcast. <laughs> because we are going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Disney does in order to give you those effects. And if you don't want to know it... Please stop, because I don't want to spoil it for you. There are some people out there who just, you know, they don't want to know how the magic trick works, and I completely respect that. Yep. So, uh, but the backstage tour does give you a lot of the information about what the Imagineers had to do in order to to create these effects. And uh, and I do highly recommend it for anyone who is interested in that. Also, uh, they have a very good intern program, from what I understand. Mm, really? So, uh, for students, college students, if you are in California... Uh, the headquarters is in Glendale, California. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a college student, you may, and you're interested in engineering, graphic design, that kind of stuff, uh, and you want an internship, an interesting internship, uh, you can look into interning with the Imagineering program at Walt Disney um, Company. They, uh, from what I understand, it is a really intense but very re- rewarding uh, program as far as you know, really getting an idea of what goes into these designs. Right. Um, uh, no, granted, I'm not eligible for that. I haven't been a stu- student for many, many years, so uh, I can't really take advantage of it. Yeah, but um, you certainly couldn't choose a uh, program with a better pedigree because they have won, won 34 awards over the course of the years for, from the Themed Entertainment Association for their different rides, uh, most recently for Toy Story Mania at Disney's California Adventure Park. Which, uh, since I haven't been to any of the California parks, I'd really like to see it some point. Well, they, they have it at Disney World. Do they really? Yeah, it's in the Disney Hollywood Studios. But is it the same one? Uh, I believe so. It's a ride in which you walk through. Uh, the, the, the queue theme is that you're in a big toy box. You're in Andy's room and you're in a toy box. You're walking through and uh, there's a big audio animatronic uh, Mr. Potato Head, or actually animatronic Mr. Potato Head, mm-hmm. who is pretty phenomenal as far as the sophisticated movements he can do and things he can do. And then you go through a ride where you see 3D images and you shoot little darts at targets and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's cute. Cool. It's it's kind of a digital version of the Buzz Lightyear ride that that preceded it. Oh, okay. So it's another one of those rides where you ride and you you shoot stuff. But it's cute. Um, Yeah. All right. 
So uh, we were going to talk about the Haunted Mansion. Oh, right, right. Now, again, if you don't want to know how it works, stop the podcast now. So Haunted Mansion had an interesting history. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was part one of the original concepts for Disneyland before Disneyland even opened, but it did not um, – it, it wasn't there when Disneyland opened because it, it was one of those that had kind of a contentious history. Right. Uh, the original idea was sort of a walkthrough haunted house attraction. And there were some arguments within Walt Disney Imagineering, uh, between Imagineers rather, uh, since Walt Disney Imagineering was not a formal institution at that point, uh, whether it should be a legitimately scary attraction or if it should be whimsical and funny. Uh, Ultimately, it kind of became a mix between the two. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, there's some scary elements to it, uh, especially if you're a little kid. Uh, there's some <laughs> things that happen that are kind of freaky. And then there's some really silly stuff that kind of helps you, you know, relieve some of the tension that you would get from uh, from looking at the scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the original idea kind of came from Ken Anderson. Um, actually, well, I guess Harper Goff really had the original idea, but Ken Anderson kind of picked, take, took the ball and ran with it mm-hmm. and uh, came up with a lot of the, the concepts that that eventually made their way into the ride. Uh, and there was a story to the ride originally, which kind of has come back in recent years and in, in uh, recent updates to the ride. Yeah. The st- original story involved a sea captain. A ghostly sea captain who had uh, jilted his his wife, his lover, and she uh, had killed herself as a result. And they are both ghosts now. And and the wife is in, actually, I believe, haunting the ghost of the husband. So you have a double haunt going on. And uh, and as you progress through the ride, you would learn more about the family. Uh, you'd find more about the story behind the 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 two. The husband and wife. Right. Uh, you would also discover more about Madame Leota, the gypsy who whose head is in a crystal ball as you make uh, your way right. through the ride. Right. And all these elements kind of tied together. Uh, once the ride eventually made it to construction, most of those elements were abandoned. Right. Um, you could still see hints of it. There would be little bits and pieces where you'd say, oh, well, that was supposed to be mm-hmm. the bride at the very end of the ride when, you know, come back. Uh, that was supposed to be the the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, at least in the Disneyland and Disney World versions, they've kind of reincorporated some of those elements in. Now you've got sort of a Black Widow storyline. Right. There's a woman who has been marrying men and offing them for their money. And uh, and so there's a little bit of a story element inserted back in. Uh, but really now it's it's still just uh, mostly a ride where you're going through room by room and seeing all these various ghostly apparitions and effects. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a few of them. Now, the one we were specifically asked about was the pepper ghost effect. Right. Which uh, they use a couple of times in the ride, but the most famous, I would I would say, version of the effect is the ballroom sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, in the ballroom sequence, if you're not familiar with the ride, what happens is you, uh, you're riding in these things called doom buggies, which is a version of the Omni Mover. Mm-hmm. It's this uh, never, it, yeah, it never stops moving unless they have to load in someone who has a, a mobility issue. Right. Otherwise, uh, they're constantly moving, and you step on a moving sidewalk in mm-hmm. order to get into the ride. Yep. All right. So you're you're riding through this attraction. It's no longer walk through, so that that was abandoned, mm-hmm. um, and you come along. 
a uh, you're you're going along a, a ballroom sequence where you're looking down into a ballroom. You can see a long table where there's a apparently a birthday party going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are ghostly dancers dancing through the room. Uh, you can see a couple of ghosts. Uh, uh, there's two portraits of men holding pistols, and occasionally ghosts pop out of the portraits and fire pistols at one another. There's a ghostly organist playing the organ at one end. Mm. Um, so there's a lot going on in this scene, and all the ghosts look really amazing. You can see through them, and they they appear to have physical presence, but at the same time, you know, you can you can see through them, and they can pass through objects. So it's a very interesting effect. Yeah, it's also incredibly simple. Really, the, the technology is not that complicated. It's not even recent. No. Pepper's ghost is a, a trick that dates back to the 19th century. And what it involves is you take a pane of glass, mm-hmm. as clean as you can possibly make it, so that it looks practically invisible if you're looking straight at it. Right. Then with lighting, you can create, make it a reflective surface so that it only reflects certain parts. So it depends on how you've lit the scene, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The ghosts that you're looking at when you're looking down into the room are actually below you and above you, mm-hmm. physically, uh, where you are in the Omnimover. Right. You can't see them because the floor and the ceiling block your view of them. Right. So so they're not at the same level. No. They can't be at the same level because if they were at the same level, you'd be able to see your own reflection. The, the right. reason why you can't see your reflection is because you are not lit the way they are. Right. Okay? So those ghosts are really just mannequins or animatronic figures. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, moving in a very well-lit area. And just by changing the, the lighting levels, you can make the ghosts fade in and fade out of existence. And so what you're looking at is a reflection. You're not looking at the real uh, figures that are creating the effect. Mm-hmm. So the the dancing ghosts that are dancing in a circle uh, toward the right end of the ballroom, if you've just entered it, at least it's the right end for both Disneyland and Disney World. I right. can't speak for the other parks. Um, those are actually dancing directly below you. Or dancing, they're moving in a circle directly below right, you. Yeah. And as they increase or decrease the level of lighting, they start to fade in and out of your vision as you go through the the ballroom. All the figures are that are that way as well. So technology actually is pretty simple. It's mm-hmm. the lighting and it's the glass. You would think that it would be way more complicated because they look like holograms, and you're like, how did they achieve this effect? And it's actually deceptively simple. Wow. But really cool. It's amazing how uh, sometimes the simplest effects can turn out to be the most effective use of your, you know, of your imagineering dollars, if you will. Yeah. I mean, because you didn't need to go into CGI or anything fancy like that. It's just, you know, a pane of very, very clean glass and a, well, a couple of well-placed lights. I can Maybe give you, I can give you but... one other really cool, actually two others. I'll just do it really quickly because we're running out of time. Okay. Um, there are a series of rotating busts. Busts mm-hmm. of of people who are who they appear to turn the these you know busts being like the stone statue right right they appear to turn and watch you as your omni mover passes by yeah I remember those uh, you know how they do that effect no I don't it's actually pretty cool okay so instead of being a bust where it projects out toward you mm-hmm. they're actually recessed into the wall. Oh. It's an optical illusion, again, by the lighting, and, and it's recessed in, so it's carved into the wall. Uh, because of the way it's carved in and the way the lighting hits it, it gives you the optical illusion that you're looking at an object that's pointing at you, and that's why it lo- it appears to turn. I would guess because your perception, uh, your, the, uh, 
What am I looking? It's for? all about angles. Yeah, it's all about angles. I, I mean, had I had a thought and then it just erupted. There are actually me. several videos on YouTube that show various ways of creating this effect by uh, by making an origami figure or whatever, and it looks mm-hmm. like a it looks like a, a head of a, a dragon or whatever that's mm-hmm. that's biting at you, and then if you just move a little bit off to the right or to the left enough so that you are at a completely different angle of of viewing, you can see that it's not pointing at you the way you thought it was. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Um, and the other one was, I was going to talk about the scrim and the uh, stretching room. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The stretching room, by the way, interestingly enough, in half the parks, the floor moves down. Mm-hmm. In the other half of the parks, the room moves up. That's that's weird. Yeah. Well, it seems like it would be easier for the floor to move down. Well, it, it would, except, and here's another reason why Imagineers have a tough job. They have to consider the space they're working in. Mm-hmm. All right? So, for instance, in Disneyland, they could dig down. And right. so, and they needed to because the, the, the mansion that houses the ride is not big enough to house the ride. Mm-hmm. The actual ride building is kind of behind the mansion. It's behind the wall. You can't see it from right. where you are. Mm-hmm. So you have to take an elevator down to get to the point where you can move into that other building. That's why the floor goes down in Disneyland. You can't do that at Disney World but because of one major geographic feature of Florida. Swamps? The water table. Yeah. If you dig down in Florida, you hit water. Yeah. So you can't have rides that go down in uh in, in Disney World. So the instead what they did was they made the, the wall go up. Well the top of the the of the room is not a solid wooden uh, uh, ceiling the way mm-hmm. it appears when you first walk in. It's actually something called a scrim, mm-hmm. which is a, a sheet of fabric that when lit one way looks like it's you know uh, opaque, but lit another way becomes transparent or at right. least translucent. Right. So at the end of the stretching room sequence, you hear a scream, you look up, and you suddenly see a, someone hanging from the, ver- from the rafters at the top of the room. Right. The way they achieve that is they turn the lights off at the bottom, they turn the lights up at the top, and the light coming through the scrim uh, allows you to see the figure. Ah. Neat stuff. Yeah, as as a matter of fact, Imagineering sort of uh, is behind Walt Disney World anyway, because because you can't really dig down, they had to, they built the underground level on the main level of the ground, and then built the park on top of it. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty fancy stuff, and you never know. Right. I don't think the average visitor knows that. Yeah, they built they built one whole administrative system uh, on the ground floor, Mm -hmm. and then they dumped a whole bunch of sand that they dug up in order to create the lagoon system. They dumped all of that on top of it, and built the uh, the Magic Kingdom. On top of the uh, the system of corridors, the utilidors. Utilidors. Yeah, I've been through those. They're pretty cool. Like I said, that was part of the backstage uh, tour, which again, really, really a neat tour. Yeah. So that kind of uh, wraps up our discussion about Imagineers. Uh, I think it's a really awesome job. I would, if I were more, you know, architecturally minded or design minded, I would definitely want to try it out. Uh, sadly, I can't draw worth a flip. Yeah, um, I, I found myself wanting to read a bunch of books that I found, uh, including um, the Imagineering Field Guide to Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World and uh, 
another one. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Designing Disney looks interesting. And, uh, I mean, for other people who are interested in learning more about this, and the Walt Disney Imagineering, a behind the dreams look at making more magic real. I added all three of those to my queue at Goodreads. So I will be checking those out sometime. And if you want to know more about this very, um, pretty specialized field, you know, you might, might check them out. I don't know how good they are, but they seem to get pretty good ratings. Yeah. If you get a chance to see some of the old wonderful world of Disney oh, yeah. shorts yeah. as well, that Disney would actually walk through and talk about the design of these attractions. Um, those are also very useful. So. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that wraps up this discussion about Imagineering. Hope you guys enjoyed it, Paul. Hope that answered your question. If any of you have questions for us, you can send them in to our email address. That's techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you... Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.